Pastor Brian Haynes currently serves as lead pastor at Bay City Area Church in League City, Texas. He's a graduate of Baylor University, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, where he earned his doctorate of ministry in discipleship and family ministry. Brian and his wife, Angela, have been married 26 years and live in Houston, Texas, where they have three daughters. Their home has been the incubator for books like Shift, What It Takes to Finally Reach Families Today, and The Legacy Path, Discover Intentional Spiritual Parenting. Most recently, they together wrote Relentless Parenting, The Crucial Pursuit of Your Teenager's Heart, best known for the milestone strategy designed to link church and home to equip the next generation. Angela and Brian serve the kingdom of Jesus through the ministry of the local church. All right, good morning. How is everyone? Do I have a Texas accent? Thank you. Say good morning. I felt like I left the G off. Felt very Texas. I don't know. It's good to uh, good to see you. Thank you for uh, inviting us to be here. Thank you, Pastor. Really grateful to have spent the weekend with your uh, Family Connect conference, investing in some families and parents and grandparents. It's been a good weekend together. My wife Angela has been teaching with me all. Uh, weekend, Angela and I met in homeroom when we were 15 years old, and uh, by 16 I thought I would love to marry her, but what do you do when you're 16 years old? You can't marry anybody, and so we went to college, graduated, went to college. She went to Texas A&M, which I, yep, I love in Michigan that nobody cares, Texas A&M. <laughs> Uh, I'm always waiting for the Texas reaction. It's not there. Uh, but she went to Texas A&M. We have uh, three daughters. They are 22, graduate of Texas A&M, just got a real job. She's off my payroll. We're so excited about that. Uh, then uh, her name is Haley. Then Madeline is 19. She's a student at Texas A&M. So you can see who's winning the legacy battle in our home. And then we have, Maddie is an education major. She was like born to teach, what, what was she, probably five when she asked for an overhead projector for uh, Christmas. She would line up her, you know, stuffed animals and teach class since she was five. So she was, she's wired for it. And then Eden is uh, our, our one that's still at home. She's 14, ninth grade. And uh, I am uh, the lone lone guy in the house except for a little 11 pound Bichon poodle named Hoyt and he thinks I'm his brother and Angela is the master of the house in his mind for sure. Uh, we're really glad to be here. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 121 this morning. If you have a Bible I'd love for you to be able to turn there. Psalm 121, 1 to 5. Angela and I have been married 26 years at this point. It's been uh, an incredible journey from homeroom to right here. And uh, I think some of the things that I, I've learned, that we've learned along the way, is that you have great mountaintops in your family life and your marriage, but you also go through deep valleys and all in between, right? Nobody's on the mountaintop all of the time. And what I'd like to talk to you about today is leading your family through very difficult times. It's kind of a, 
It's kind of an interesting message to parachute into a new a church you have never been in and preach because you don't know me <clears throat> and I don't know you. And so it's, I, I'm praying that you have ears to hear and eyes to see all the things that, you ha- that God has in store for you this morning. So in the last 26 years, we um, have served three churches and we've been youth pastors and associate pastors, marriage and family pastors. 11 years ago, we, we moved to Bay Area Church in the south side of Houston, which is, um, it's an interesting church. I love the church. If I were describing the church to you, it is like astronauts. We literally live right across the street from NASA and Duck Dynasty. Have you ever seen that show? It's like they come together and form Bay Area Church, plus the whole world's in Houston. So you have people from Nigeria and Pakistan and Mexico and all, all over the place. So it's a really, really incredible group of, um, of people. And it's been, a, it's been a, you know, a, a difficult journey, but also a, a fruitful one. And, and that's one thing. But in the midst of this, uh, we started struggling deeply leading and parenting our oldest daughter. And if you just knew her, if you weren't living in our house, if you, you were her teacher or her coach or whatever, you would say, this is the greatest kid. She's straight A's. She does what, what, what you're supposed to do. She loves Jesus. She, she excels in athletics to the level of her ability and just a great kid, takes care of people, all that kind of stuff. But inside the house, we were experiencing something very differently for a long time. From the time she was eight years old all the way until she was 19, 18. And it was tough. And we never knew, we never really understood, like, why is she so angry? What is going on? Why is she so depressed? Why is she so anxious? Because if, again, if you just outside looking in, if you knew our family, you'd say like, Angela and Brian are great parents. They do, they do what they can. They're not perfect. They, they're, they're doing their best, you know. We couldn't figure it out. So one day she goes to, she goes to college and we, we were sitting on the couch one night. We get that, that like parent vibe. You ever get that where you just know like something's not, Exactly right. So I look on my phone and I find a friend because I'm tracking her, you know. And uh, she's sitting in a park in her car to like midnight. And I'm thinking, that's not good. So we call and she's very upset. And my assessment of her in a few seconds is she's like borderline suicidal. And I'm horrified and, and looking at her life and thinking, we're looking at her life and thinking, how did she get here? We don't even understand. It turned out through a series of, of counseling sessions and all those kinds of things, it turns out that someone close to us sinned against us by abusing her physically. But we never knew. We just never knew. 
And that journey from 8 to 18 was tough, but the journey from 8, when we found that out from 18 until now, really tough. Really tough. Why do I tell you that? Why do I show up in Michigan and tell you my stuff? Because every time I tell people our stuff, I find out that a lot of other people have gone through a lot of stuff. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Specifically in the last two years, for the next generation, our grandkids, our kids, it is, it is unbelievable the rates of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation off the chart compared to two years ago. And you probably have anecdotal evidence of that in your own homes, in, in this church, in the community. Um, leading through those very difficult times is tough. And so what I want to do is try to answer a couple of questions this morning uh, and give you some hope. But the first question I want to talk about is why do we go through difficult times? Why do we go through seasons like this? Like, my daughter didn't deserve that. You know, we as parents, we didn't deserve that. Our kids that, our other two kids that struggled with, why is she being this way in the context of our home? didn't deserve that and all the ramification of it. Why do we go through difficult times? Now, here's the, uh, let me just be the master of the obvious for just a second. Life is not as it should be. Life is not as it should be. So here's how we know that. If we look at the scriptures from beginning to end, we discover something very important. The discovery is this. People were created to be in paradise where there was no shame, no sin, nothing between God and each other. In Genesis chapter 2, we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eden means paradise, the first garden. What we find about Adam and Eve, there's this verse in Genesis chapter 2. It gets read at weddings all the time. It's the very kind of last part where they come together and it says they were naked and they had no shame. Now, when you think about that, to be completely exposed before another human, completely known and have no shame, completely exposed before God, completely known and have no shame, where God is walking with you in the garden. You can hear him rustling through the leaves of the garden. I mean, it, it was paradise. It was perfect. In Genesis chapter three, we have sin that enters the picture. You know the story, likely, the serpent tempts, he tells half-truths, lies. Did God really say? Did God really say? There's two trees in that garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. If you eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, God really did say, you'll die. The enemy said, "Uh, you, you won't die, you'll just have the same kind of knowledge God does. Don't you want to be like him. It was the birth of pride. And pride gave way to all kinds of sin. And they, they end up uh, t- pushed out of the garden, driven out. They're the first driven out ones. Now, you might think, well, that was horrible of God, but it wasn't because there was that second tree there, the tree of life. If they had stayed in the garden in their sin and eaten of the tree of life, having lived forever in their sin, that would have been awful. This was actually the, 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 a great act of grace on God's part. He covers them and he sends them out. And do you know where they go and where the rest of the Bible is when they leave the garden of Eden? 
They go into the wilderness. They go into what is geographically the desert. It's called lots of different things in the scripture. But what you'll find from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation where we find there's a new Jerusalem. When the tree of life is there too. You begin to study that and you find there's a whole new garden. It's the garden of shalom, the garden of peace. So from the beginning is the garden of paradise. The, The end is the garden of peace. But everything in between desert you just think about it for a minute the children of israel wander in the wilderness and they were they were in captivity to egypt in a place called goshen the text even says it was the best of all the lands why does it tell us that the best of all the lands in egypt god's people are are slaves in egypt they live in the best of all the land i've been to goshen bunches of times You're in Goshen, because the Nile River, it it floods and then recedes, it, it, it makes this very rich soil. And when it recedes, they plant and then they get these incredible crops. It's, it's full of, of produce and melons and things like that that you, would, you, would, you, you can't even imagine. But you step one foot out of Goshen just because of how the river moves. You step one foot out of Goshen, do you know where you are? In the desert. So when Moses shows up and says, hey, let my people go, they're thinking to themselves, we're going into that, into the wilderness, leaving behind. It, yeah, it was slavery, but it was Goshen. It was green. There's no trees, not a place to lay your head. It's the desert. They wander there 40 years. Manna from heaven, water from a rock, miracles, all that kind of stuff. You know, Jerusalem is located in the Judean wilderness. If you walk outside Jerusalem, do you know where you are? In the desert, in the wilderness. The, the whole of the Bible is the wilderness. Jesus gets crucified just outside the city of Jerusalem. I mean, in the wilderness. And all of the Bible is God bringing shalom to chaos. Why do we go through difficult times? Because we live in the desert. That's hard to see in Michigan. It's cold here. I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> It, you know, Dan's walking around a short sleeve shirt yesterday and I'm like, can I get a hat? Can I get a scarf? What about gloves? You got hand warmers? It, it, it's just all perspective, right? Um, but compared to Houston, it's, it's cold. You, you might not feel like you're in a desert. People forget, especially uh, American, Western people forget that they're in a desert because we have it pretty good. Even when it's pretty bad, we kind of have it pretty good. But we forget, you know, that, that we live in a desert. There are three kinds of wilderness in Scripture. And these, these equate to three kinds of life, three seasons of life that we walk through. The first one is midbar. Midbar is a Hebrew word, and it's a desert you can survive in. It gets translated into English like wilderness a lot. So Isaiah 35 verse 1, it says, The wilderness or the midbar and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. So midbar is desert you can survive in. This is kind of where we live normally. In fact, we would call this kind of living, this kind of desert living normal. Because we've forgotten that we came from a garden called paradise and we're headed toward one called peace. Midbar feels really good. And and Midbar is like geographically, if you wanted to put your feet in it, like the northern Negev in Israel. Uh, You could grow things there. If you showed up there in March or April, it, it might even be green. 
So you, there's enough water there to survive. If you know what you're doing, you can live. You can dwell there. That's midbar. It's kind of normal. Sometimes we even pray for normal. Like I would just love normal when you're going through a hard time. Just give me midbar. Yeah. But there's another word. It's sia, T-S-I. Y-A-H or A-H, depending on how you transliterate it. This is desert you can survive in if you have help. This is a little bit deeper in the desert. It's, it's characterized by the scourge of the sun. There is no good water source in Sia. If you're going to survive in Sia, you have to have help. And this is desert you can survive in if you have help. What does that mean? That means that I have to have somebody who has who cares for me and has something that I need that can help me, that can resource me and see how I'm not going to make it. Right? So in the context of the scripture, this is Bedouin hospitality, a Bedouin shepherd. Think nomadic people in tents moving around all over the desert. You show up. You can see it happen with Abraham and Lot, Genesis and those kinds of things. You show up. Your camels need water because you don't have any. You need food because you don't have any. We go there today. We can find Bedouins in Siah. We can cough outside the door. All of us. They'd invite all of us in. We'd have tea. We'd have We'd have bread, we'd have refuge if we need it because the hospitality culture. In CI, you have to have that. It's a desert you can't survive in unless you have help. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lived a season of your life that was like that? Desert you can't survive in unless you have help? You had to depend on other people. You just were not going to make it. This is CI. And then the third kind of desert is called yeah. Yeshimon, it's desert you can't survive in. Desert you can't survive in. So Psalm 68, verse 7 and 8, it uses this word, O Lord, when you went out before your people, you marched through the wilderness. This, this word wilderness is Yeshimon. The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before the God of Israel. This is, this is desert you can't surviving and I will tell you we have walked in what at least felt like desert you can't survive in have you ever been there in life maybe with one of your kids one of your grandkids maybe your marriage maybe you personally walking through a piece of life you can't survive in the good news is if we follow the text, you know, the, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. About 60% of that is in Yeshimon. And there are great miracles in yes, Yeshimon. Manna from heaven, water from a rock, their shoes don't wear out, those kinds of things. I mean, how does that happen? Only God. When you're in Yeshimon, you need God. Oh, that's the only thing that's going to save you. God himself, his presence, his miracles our environment is wrought with struggle with dysfunction with brokenness with disease with difficulty and it's because life is not as it should be we don't live in paradise we're raising our kids and our grandkids in a desert and we cannot forget that it's a spiritual desert inside that Besides just the environmental struggle, we have to deal with this 
little three-letter word called sin. <laughs> it's our sin. It can be the sins of others against us. How many of you know, like, my own sin, my personal sin could, could land me in Yeshimon, desert I can't survive in? I could do something against God that would harm people and it would land me in a deep, dark desert. That would be the consequences of my own sin. But sometimes you end up there, circumstances of not your own choosing. You didn't do anything, but you're in Yeshimon, desert you can't survive in. Some of the sins of others cause trauma and wounds. It's because life is not as it should be. Well, painted a bleak picture for you, at least a, a, a desert picture. But the good news is the psalmist, the, the psalmist is a desert psalmist. I don't know if you know that, but like all the pictures in the Psalms for the most part come from the desert because the psalmist, all the different writers of the Psalms, they understand the desert. And here's what we get in Psalm 121, 1 to 8. Listen to what it says. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this day forth and forevermore. Where does my help come from? That's the next question I want to answer. Because if you're in Yeshimon, if you're in Siah, you're going to cry out. It's going to pressure you. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. Where does my help come from? Here's what the psalmist says. Our help comes from the Lord. And he doesn't just say, like, mention some God in particular. He, he says the Lord, the covenant name of God. This is the one who, who is of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who split the Red Sea and delivered the people. And he, you know, read Psalm 78 about all that he did. But it says... The Lord, the creator, the one who made heaven and earth. Now this is good news to me because you're telling me I'm my help, my help when I'm in Yeshimon. Your help when you're in Yeshimon. It comes from the sovereign creator of the universe. The one true God who made it all who according to the scriptures is restoring all things and has said to me in the book of Revelation, there is another garden. It's called the new Jerusalem and one day there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. All the sin will be outside the camp. Imagine living in a place where no one's sin affects you, where you have no personal sin, where there is no shame between you and God because of Jesus. There's no shame between you and the other people there because of Jesus. The creator of heaven and earth, this is where my help comes from according to verses one and two. It says he will not let your foot be moved. Do you know, I, I, I take people all the time, like two times a year to the deserts of the Middle East to talk about this stuff. 
And do you know that we look for shepherd's paths because those are the, those are the paths that these, these shepherds have been walking for years and years. Sometimes we think shepherding, we think everything has to be green out there. They shepherd in the wilderness, in the desert. It's a whole other story for a whole other day how they do that. I look for their paths because their paths are straight. In fact, the Hebrew word for those paths translates this, paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He will not let your foot be moved. Man, I've, we've been in moments where we felt like we're going to fall off the cliff. We're going to fall into the valley of the shadow of death right here in the desert. He will not let your foot be moved. Uh, 121 verse 4, it says your keeper will not fall asleep on you. That's what it tells us. He's not going to go to bed on, on you. You know, Elijah, how many of you have heard of Elijah before? Elijah fought 400 prophets of Baal, a place called Mount Carmel. And it was this epic moment where he, he said, we're going to have an altar and, and if we're going to put a sacrifice in the altar and you, you prophets of Baal, you ask the Lord your God to rain fire, ask Baal to rain fire on this altar. If it happens, he's God. And then when it doesn't happen, I'll ask the Lord my God to raise, rain fire on this altar and then we'll know who God is. And it happens, Baal beating, beating their drums and calling out, nothing happens. And one of the things that, uh, it's funny in the text that Elijah says is, uh, is, your, is Baal in the bathroom? Is he traveling? Did he fall asleep? This is in contrast to that. Our God never sleeps. He is not going to go to sleep on you. He is not checked out on you. Perhaps my favorite aspect of this passage of Scripture says that the Lord is your shade at, at your right hand. Do you know when you're in the desert, one thing I do, I look hard for a tree. It's hard to find a tree. There are trees in the desert, several different kinds, but you have to know to, where to go to find them. And when you get there, if you're there and out and it's 112 degrees and you've been walking for three hours and I find a tree that I can get my whole group under and we get in the shade, you know what happens? The temperature drops 15 degrees. Everybody's attitude goes up in the right direction because people grumble in the desert. And we stop and we drink and shade. And it's a picture. The Lord is saying like, look, I am your relief when you're in the desert. He will keep you from harm, 121 verse 7. The Lord will keep your life forever, 121 verse 7 and 8. When we were going through this hard time, a friend said to me, Brian, this is hell. But this is as close to hell as you will ever get. Don't forget he will keep you. He will keep your life forever. He will keep you from harm. You have a new Jerusalem, a new garden in your future, a new hope, even when it's really difficult. This is where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Last question. What should I do to live and lead through difficult times? You told me why it's difficult. You told me where my help comes from, what do I do? Here's what I think. Here's what we learned, I think, and what I would share with you. No matter what the difficult situation it is or how bad it is, 
Number one, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. It sounds like it's such a, such a simple thing, but it's a choice. It's a choice where you look for relief in the desert. It's an absolute choice. People medicate with all kinds of things in the desert. Do you know that? They might not even realize they're in a desert, but they're going through a bad time, and they just medicate. You pick the medication. Pornography, alcohol, affairs, all kinds of stuff. You just make a list. People medicate with all kinds of things. What we need to do is we need to look up. We need to keep our eyes up. We need to lift our eyes. And that means just abiding in him. So when we were going through this, for me, this, you would expect a pastor to say this, but I'm telling you as Brian, Brian trying to survive. The only solace for me every day was to hear from God. For a while, it was so bad. The only thing that helped was to open my Bible and say, oh God, please speak to me where I am. Don't abandon me. The Psalms became my friend. Don't leave me. Lift up your eyes. Abide. Spend time with Jesus in that time. Some people, sometimes people have, have the natural tendency to run away from God in the desert. You need to run to him. Run to him. Second thing, be quick to self-evaluate in the wilderness. Did I put myself here? Did I sin and walk this path that put me here? And if so, then I need to repent the scripture that comes to mind is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Reveal what's inside of me that I might repent of it. Turn and walk in a different direction. Be quick to self-evaluate when you're there. Three, stay in community. Stay in community. In the desert, you need other people. Everybody doesn't have to know all your stuff. Everybody doesn't need to know all the things that you're going through. You don't have to put it on Facebook, whatever. But there are a few people that need to know everything so they can help, so that they can watch you, so that you can be known, so they can shepherd your heart because sometimes you can't trust your heart when you get a little crazy in the wilderness, deep down, dark in there. You need other people. Stay in community. People have a tendency to isolate themselves. They think, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to be around people. This is so hard. I just want to go to bed and isolate. Don't isolate. Stay in community. By the way, when you're in Midbar, the normal kind, it's a good time to cultivate. I was laying in the driveway. It was hot. Laying in the driveway, outside in the dark, crying before God, looking up at the stars. And I saw the Big Dipper. And you know what came to my mind? Who hung that there? I can take care of you too. Wrecking, that, was a, that was mundane. It wasn't for anybody else. It wasn't sky splitting. It was mundane, but it spoke to me. It got me through. It was what I needed for the day. 
Maybe we'll get manna from heaven. But let's look also for him in the mundane. Here's what I'd say to you in closing. Every one of us will go through Midbar, Siah, or Yeshimon sometime in our life because it's where we live. Make sure you lift up your eyes to the hills. It's where your help comes from. Let me pray. Father, we bless your name. You're a good and holy God. We worship you. God, I pray for these people quite likely are walking through things, difficult things. God, would you make them keenly aware of where they are and who you are and use them to point the rest of their family toward you. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.